one of the things that we think is critical is for a man to be fully enlivened, which means for him to actually feel the feelings and not numb them. We numb them a lot as men because the world demands that of us. We get told that it is weakness. And the reality is when we don't get to feel those emotions, any emotions, and we're just demanding to be stoic, when in the world are we supposed to feel alive and grateful? Who am I now? I didn't write this story. I didn't write who I was as a man. I just was kind of floating around aimlessly. I didn't have a circle of men that I trusted. That energetic connection with your brothers is something that's really important. What is required from us in order to meet our partner, or raise a family or whatever it might be, emotional connection, emotional depth, we are taught is not associated with masculinity. And I've been in men's work for a long time. One of the common themes, as you know, is that men don't trust men and they don't have anyone that they can really respect and revere. I can't go do it on my own. I gotta be alone. Wolf. The benefit of actually forging real friendships and real brotherhood where you can trust people and you can belong. The result of that man is amazing connections in my life, amazing business opportunities, collaborations, adventure. Where I needed masculine support. I needed other men to be a stand for what I wanted, hold me accountable for what I was trying to do. I knew that I could not do this journey alone. Welcome to Men This Way with Brian Reeves and Tate Arendt. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to Men This Way. This is the beginning of a new era. I am so excited. I have my, my longtime childhood best friend, Tate, here. Tate, welcome. Oh, so good to be back, Brian. So Tate's been on the podcast quite a few times in the last couple of years, but I'm excited to announce that Tate is actually coming on as my new co-host. See, I've done about, what, 111 episodes over the last, gosh, since 2018, Five I years. think. Totally. Yeah, cow. 2018, man, coming up on six years. And I have been the sole host of Men This Way, both doing solo episodes, doing get a lot of guest episodes. Again, you, Tate, have been a guest a few times. And we're now relaunching the podcast into a new era, really really excited to elevate the impact that we're having on men who are really trying to trying to just trying to live a good life in the mm. end i mean that's really what this is all about is, yeah. is is learning discovering who who are we as as men what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to thrive as a man what does that look like and of course this podcast you know i've had i've had men on this podcast i've also had women including my wife a few times um, you know, so this is, this is an exciting time, Tate, to bring you on because you are such a brilliant person, man. I mean, you and I have known each other for 40 mm. years Yeah. now. We've been, been besties for, for 40 years. We're going to talk about our journey a bit today, but the thing that I'm just really excited about is, is, you know, you have so much to, to offer through your experience as a man, your, your journey in life, both in, both in marriage, your journey through the uh, addiction experience, hmm. being a father, right? You have a, your daughter's what now? 13? 13 and my son is 10. Right. So, you know, and you and I have been working with men for the last few years and it just makes sense that we start hosting this podcast hmm. together. And so I'm, I'm just really excited. I love you, you and I've been having amazing conversations for most of our 40 years yeah. of friendship. Yeah. And to get to, to, to bring people into the kinds of things that we like to talk about and explore, I'm just, I'm just, just super pumped. 
of the impact and the inspiration that I know this is going to bring to the men that listen and to women also who are avid listeners of this podcast as well. So thrilled to have you, man. Welcome as my co-host of Men This Way. Oh man, I'm so honored to be here. And you you know, I mean, the the words of praise that I have for you as a man in this world are endless and to just have the honor and privilege of being a part of your life. And then now just being able to be a, a part, a fixture in this conversation on Men This Way, I'm um, just deeply honored by. I know you mentioned this, but one of the things I'm also just so present to is, is the importance of women and the role that they play in our personal lives uh, and have played in the world that you've been making an impact in in the last decade in, in relationships and relationship coaching. Uh, we would not have the opportunity to make the impact that we make in the world if it hadn't been for so many strong women being willing to to hear the messages that you've been putting out in the world and to to help nudge, encourage, mm. demand in some cases that <laughs> yeah, yeah, that men open their the aperture of the way that they were looking at the world and to be willing to take in some of the the messages that you've been putting out there. I mean, it, look, I know personally my wife Elsa has given me message over message, not all of them um, have I just jumped at the chance of listening to, but that have always been guided by love and trying to help me live my best life. And so I just also, I know men are largely who we're having conversations with, but I know without the women in these men's lives, in many cases, they wouldn't even be turned on to a conversation like this. So I just want to presence that and be so grateful for that. Well said, beautifully said. It's one of the things that fuels has fueled my work in this domain for a long time is the fact that I've told this story many times. I've I've two moms and three sisters. Mm, you know, yeah. a mom and a stepmom. They're not married to each other. They're married to my dads. <laughs> uh, but all, but but three. You know, my moms were the ones that were really holding the world together, and it was it was my my fathers in many ways that were just holding on for dear life, and just seeing the way that men have treated my sisters over the years also has, has been. I've had a lot of heartbreak in, in witnessing that. And so, you know, we're going to talk about our, both our childhood experience, because the subject we really want to explore today is the masks that we men wear. Mm, yeah. The masks we men wear. Why don't you launch us into that? I mean, I, I, I think about, I've shared this story before, but I also am just really present as I was reflecting on on this topic that we were going to talk about today. The convergence of three things that were happening for me all around the same time. There was a documentary that came out called The Mask You Live In, and it was just this really powerful story that is ever present even again in my life now because of the age of my 10-year-old son. But it's the documentary that really speaks to the, how early boys feel like they need to put on a mask in order to survive in the world. Uh, I had read a book called The Season of Life, which is written by, I think it's Pul Pulitzer Prize winning author Jeffrey Marks, really about a man by the name of Joe Ehrman, who is a coach, but he was a kind of the captain of, of the Indian Indianapolis Colts and who was who was present to the teaching and coaching boys, but, but boys that had been growing up and getting all kinds of mixed messages about what it meant to be a man. 
And then the story that you and I really, in large measure, launched us into this deep conversation about men. And it, that was the, the movie called Wind River. And it, and it stars Jeremy Renner and Gil Birmingham. Is that right? Gil Birmingham? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll just represence this story again because of how powerful it was. But at the very beginning of this movie, Jeremy Renner plays this game warden out on a Native American reservation out in Wyoming. And in the beginning of the movie, he happens upon this girl who's been murdered and is laying in the snow. And as it turns out, it's actually the daughter of one of his close friends. And that close friend is played by Gil Birmingham. And you fast forward to the end of the movie and he goes to be with Gil and finds him outside sitting underneath this rusty swing set. And he's sitting there with all this Native American war paint on his face. And it's this sky blue and white. And Jeremy looks at him and he says, what's that? Well, or what actually he says, what's with the paint? And Gil says, it's my death mask. And Jeremy says, well, how do you know what that is? And Gil says, well, I don't because there's no one left to show me what it's supposed to look like. So I just made it up. And I remember watching that movie in that cabin in Lake Arrowhead with you and you and I kind of turning to each other and really having a, even a painful conversation because we both recognized in that moment that in large measure, that's what we as men do in the world is that we paint our faces the best that we know how, and we go out into the world and we try to be good men. We try to be good fathers. We try to be good workers and providers and good lovers. And, and in, in large measure, what we end up doing, because we really don't know what we're doing, is that we end up leaving a trail of tears behind for the people, for ourselves and for the people that we love the most. And it's not because we don't want to do better. It's because in large measure, we haven't been shown how. And I, and I think about that story. I think about the, the documentary, The Mask You Live In, and that, that story of an of a NFL football player who's trying to teach boys what it really means to be a man in the world and the convergence of those three things really hit me at back in 2017 as you were thinking about what kind of impact you wanted to make in the world. And I just, I'm heartbroken because before those moments, I had no idea that I had been putting on a mask for so many years, pretending and, and silently suffering because I didn't know how to keep the mask on. And I'm just present to that. And I'm present to the way that you and I helped, at least in, in various moments, help us feel safe enough to take off the mask that we had been pretending to wear. Yeah. You know, as I think about our 40-year our journey together, and we're going to go back to, to talk about where did these masks, when did we start wearing these masks and why? What were some of the things that we experienced when we were kids and around the time that we met particularly? But I'm also aware that through through a lot of our journey together, because we didn't know any better, we also right. we also enabled each other to keep certain masks on. For sure. You know, I think it's one of the one of the ways men let each other down is we actually don't hold each other accountable to mm. our own integrity, to the promises we've made to our partners, to our 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 our, our community, et cetera. We we to, to women, we 
we enable each other to be out of integrity, to, to stay behind the masks. Because again, we just, there's nobody left to show us. We don't know any better. In fact, this whole podcast, episode one, which I did not long after you and I took that, that trip up to the mountains in 2017, episode one is titled, There's No One Left to Show Us. And I talk about that, that Wind River episode, because it's just such a, it's so profoundly symbolic to what I think most men are experiencing. There's no one left to show us. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go, let's go back to childhood. Let's go back to, to the time, you know, we met, I was, we met at around 10 years old. Oh, the age of my son now. You're, yeah. you're actually, by the time this podcast comes out, you will have just turned 50 and I will, it'll, it'll be right around the corner for me. That's right. So yeah, 40 year anniversary for us. <laughs> That's cool. And mm. I don't know any other guys that have been friends as long as we have and yeah. at our age anyway. But, um, so, you know, I think about the mask that I was wearing when I met you, I was just shut down. You know, my mm. parents had gone through a divorce. I had lost a cousin to, to suicide that I loved dearly. Um, I had been bullied in school. I was smaller than most of the kids my age because I skipped a grade and I was already small for my age and then I skipped a grade. And so uh, I, was, I was struggling, you know, when, when I met you. There was also alcoholism in my, in my home. You know, my dad wasn't around because he had left when I was four and I rarely ever saw him. And so, man, I, nobody was really tending what I was feeling. I was a sensitive young kid. All boys are sensitive. Right? You have a 10-year-old son now. How sensitive is your son? <laughs> Beautifully sensitive, actually. <laughs> I mean, profoundly. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And so life is coming at me at all these directions and nobody yeah. is helping me process it, feel it, check in with it. I'm, nobody is tending to my emotional state. So what I did is shut down. I just shut down. And, and I mean, I'm nine, 10 years old, shutting down, that would only get worse, you know, well into my teens, into the military, et cetera. But that was the mask that I started to wear. I don't need anything. That was one, I don't need anything. I'm okay. Nothing's wrong with me. Yeah. Right. I don't need anything. I'm fine. Yeah. What was, what was your mask? Yeah, that's a great that question. I, I also was living in a home that had been, inundated by the impact of alcohol. My, my mom's father passed away at cirrhosis I mean, literally of alcoholism. He hadn't drank for, I don't know, maybe it was about 10 years. He got sober, didn't drink for 10 years. Then his wife passed away. His ex-wife really passed away. And then he began to drink and killed himself that way. Um, and one of the things that we know to be true about addiction is that it acts like a tornado in, in, in the lives of the people who are addicted, but it also acts like a tornado in the lives of the people who are impacted by that. So my, my mom had been devastated by that. And I remember growing up every time that, that either his birthday or near the time of his death, my mom would be very emotional during that time. I, I struggle with my, my dad's drinking that age. Um, I had experienced a lot of trauma as a kid, I was in a terrible car accident. There was other, other things that, that happened. Um, and, and so, you know, I put on the, the strength mask. I put on the dominance mask. Like I had to pretend like I was fucking strong and that nobody could mess with me. I remember being a kid because of the car accident that I was in. 
it's less pronounced now because I have a lot of wrinkles on the face, but I had this huge scar on the left-hand side of my face from when I smashed into the side of a car and broke every bone in my face and my face was ripped open three inch or more scar on the side of my face. And I remember as kids would call me Scarface and that was devastating to me. And that label, I just... I just struggled with it so much. And so I put on the dominance mask, the strength mask, the I'm in fucking control and nobody can hurt me. And I was dying on the inside, devastated, desiring to feel like I belonged. And, and I didn't. And so I, if I ran across people that I felt like could be scared of, I had to puff my chest up and pretend like I was okay and that nothing was wrong. And part of that mask was an anger mask that I walked around angry and like nobody was going to fuck with me. And that, that, that mask wasn't my truth, but it did protect me. It did help me for a period of time. And, and, and it worked because I remember meeting you, you were the angriest kid I fucking knew, man. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah. were everything in my body said, stay away from this guy. He's dangerous. He's angry. I could feel it. You were seething with rage and but sh and strength also. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, and, and again, I was already kind of small for my age. I skipping a grade. I don't understand not having my father present throughout most of of my childhood. Also, it's like I had no backbone. I I didn't have strength. I didn't feel any strength. I so I just shut down. I shut down into weakness, into withdrawal, into just just quiet. The invisible kid. And so when we met, I remember, man, I don't know how it happened, but I just remember you coming for me. <laughs> you came for me. And I was like, how do I get away from this kid? Yeah. And and within a short period of time though, within a few months, I mean, we were we were now we're doing sleepovers. I mean, I like to tell the story. Made me invite you over <laughs> to sleep over at my house. I, you didn't give me a it's choice. True. It's not even a lie. <laughs> and, and then you didn't just make me sleep over. And then I rolled out one of those old, you know, green yoke. Back then, we didn't have yoga mats. We had like Jane Fonda exercise mats. They were these thick green cushion things. We had the 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 exercises were actually drawn on the mat yeah. that you could do. And I put that on on the floor for you to sleep on. And you were like, Nah, you're sleeping on this, Brian. I'm gonna sleep in your bed. <laughs> And I was like, God damn, how am I sleeping on the floor on my own? <laughs> you know, but somehow, yeah. man, we, you know, I don't know. We were just so drawn yeah. to each other all the same. I mean, I know, I know now in retrospect, I was drawn to your strength. Yeah. Yeah. There was something really special about who you were in the world for me, because I, I, for whatever reason, and I can't articulate it well because I'm trying to remember 40 years of history. But, but what I do know is that there was something that felt very safe about mm. safe mm. enough that I, mm. I was allowed to take off my mask. I didn't have mm. to dominate. I didn't have, to, I didn't have to be angry. I didn't have to be upset. I didn't have to pretend to be something that I wasn't. I mean, what 10 year old really does have confidence, true confidence. Yeah. Um, I certainly didn't, but somehow or another in your presence, I got to, I got to be, start to feel comfortable in my own skin. And I think in, in large measure, that's one of the things that we long for as men is to feel comfortable in our own skin. I mean, I'm about to turn 50 and it's the first time 
that I can really, somebody asked me actually earlier today, hey, man, how do you, how do you feel about being about to turn 50? And it's like, my answer was, I really need to process it because I, I don't, I feel less now, like I have to pretend than ever before in my life. So feeling, being 50 actually feels pretty good. But at 10, it, there was very few moments in my life that I felt safe enough to take off yeah. the mask that I was actually living inside of and pretending to be in the world. And you were that safe place. You were that place that allowed me to be me. And what I needed that gift. man. Mm -hmm. I needed it. You know, I think about some of the ways that you, you, you know, I, I don't have a problem today at nearing 50 speaking for my needs, right? What I need where I'm feeling maybe violated or just, just, just where I have a need, you know, something happens and it's had an impact on me. I can communicate it today. But as a 10 year old and as a teenager, I couldn't do that at all. Hmm. And I remember, for example, one of the things that stands out for me is, is, you know, okay, we're 16, 17 years old. Now we're driving around in, in other kids' cars, you know, kids are getting cars and they're, some of them are putting big stereos in them. <laughs> and, and, and my ears were really sensitive. You know, I just, I, I don't know, I'm a Taurus. Maybe that has something to do with it, maybe nothing, but I'm very, you know, very sensual oriented. And, and I, it was just, it was overwhelming for me. The, the volume that some kids mm. would play in their cars and I'd be sitting in the back seat and I never had, I didn't, again, I didn't have strength. I had withdrawal. I was, I was shut down. I was just like, I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I don't need anything from you. It's probably why, partly why you felt safe. Cause I was like, you just be however you be and I'm good. Maybe part of it. But the, the shadow of that is I will be in pain and won't say anything. Mm. And I remember you would always check in with me, like, Brian, are you okay back there? You doing okay? And, and, you know, you could just see on my face. I don't even know if I was able to tell you that it was too loud, but you could tell, or you just knew, or maybe by that time we had our own language yeah. and you would always speak up to the guy or you would just, you wouldn't even speak up. You would just turn it down and take care of me in that way. And, and that was yeah. like, again, I, my father wasn't around to show me how to do that. Mm. I don't know that he could do it for himself. I think my father was just as withdrawn and, and, and unable to communicate needs, uh, you know, as an adult, how could yeah. he show me? Yeah. And so, you know, that again, love how our friendship started with us being attracted to drawn to these, these, these missing parts of ourselves, yeah, or at least right. the, these, these parts of ourselves that we had repressed or were disconnected from, or just hadn't brought online and yeah. you know, shared, we, we talk about it in many ways, like we raised each other That's right. in, in, in many ways. That's right. Yeah. And I have a, you know, what's interesting is I have a vastly different relationship with my father now than I did growing up. My, my, my father for a long, long time was the sole breadwinner. He, he would leave at nine o'clock in the morning or so, you know, I wouldn't really engage with him at all. He would come home at seven o'clock at night. We would have small interactions. My, my father loved me the way that he knew how, but it, missed the mark for me when I was a kid. And again, we have a vastly, we have a beautiful, beautiful relationship now, but I, I remember there being a missing in the world and, and he had anger and I had anger as a defense mechanism also. And we just butted heads. And for whatever reason, you and I, I don't, I don't ever remember as a child having a fight with you about something. Like I don't, have any recollection, but I do remember being very protective of you. 
it's like I felt like it was my job to protect you. I mean, I, I remember you went off to college. One of the things that that I got into trouble about, I mean, just more nobody knew about it at the time, but I remember your sister was throwing a party at your house. My younger sister. Yeah. And I went over there just to make sure everything was all right. And then I got mm -hmm. threatened in my childhood best friend's home. And then mm -hmm. that led to a <laughs> skirmish the next day because uh -huh. I brought some friends and they had some friends and all mm -hmm. that. But I just remember feeling like, no, it's not not only my job to protect Brian. I got to protect his house. I got to protect his sister. I got to protect his family. There was something innate in me around about around you that I wasn't I didn't want anybody to fuck with you because you were you were precious to me. You know, one of the things I've often said, like, you've been a soulmate of mine for, for my entire life. Since the moment I, I met you and made you sleep on the floor, you've been a soulmate of mine. And, you know, one of, one of the gifts that you've given me, you know, when, I, when I've had, had to have the mask of certainty on, the mask of strength and dominance and, and, just I have confidence that I have it all together. One of the gifts that you've given me is you have just such a way of looking at the world that helps me see the uncertainty of it all. The the the, the I've one of my most vivid memories is probably one of those times that I made you sleep on the mat. We opened up the 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 blinds, and I remember you talking about. Think about how many stars there are out there and every star is a sun. And think about how many, how many planets must be out there circling those suns and think about what life might, might be like out there. And I, that was like mind blowing to me at probably 11 or 12 years old. I had never thought about it. So one of the gifts that you've given me is that I don't have to be as certain as I feel like I have to be in order for me to be safe. Like you've given me the gift of like, there's something else to see out there and you don't have to hold on to this hard perspective. Relax a little, T. It's okay. You can, you can open your perspective to the world and it's not as scary as you thought it would be. And again, what a, what a fucking gift of giving me uncertainty in a world that I needed so much certainty to feel okay. In the world. Yeah. Wow, man. I'm as, it's beautiful to hear and to know that. And I know we've talked about this over the years, but. Um, want to shift now to okay? Now we 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 head off into the world, mm. right? We essentially, I went to Arizona. You went down to school in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and thus begins a new phase of our lives where we're not really in each other's lives anymore. Certainly yep. not to the same degree. And and over the next what probably you know the next twenty years essentially right. we would largely. you know largely. We would we would never lose touch, but we definitely did not know what was going on in each other's daily lives, or even, that's right, you know, uh, just consistently at all. And and you know, so I went into the military, and man, talk about masking up. You know, the what I'd been working on in childhood now was was a professional requirement to to mask to have no feelings. Uh, you know, interestingly, actually, one of the things that I always admired about you too is you seem to feel so much. You felt a lot of things, and that scared me, you know, especially because you led with a lot of anger at that age. But you, you were passionate. You had a passion that, again, I hadn't. I was disconnected from, and so now I'm going into the military, and but I'm also, you know, I'm in college actually first, and I'm finding this passion. I'm in a fraternity. I'm having fun. I'm coming out of my shell. I'm, I'm, um, 
but I'm also, you know, surrounded by guys that for the most part don't want to have real conversations. They also, they just want to drink, they want to party, they want to you know, get their degree, start making money, all those things. And that's fine. But I, I was curious about the world in a way that, that most of my peers weren't. And so again, wasn't able to, to really fully express that side of myself. And, and now I go into the military and now I have to really disconnect from my feelings even more, you know, such that, that, I mean, I got spit out of the military at, at 26. So I was about 10 years altogether um, in, in the Air Force. When I got out of the military, I remember coming to see you on my way when I, I separated from, I was at Patrick Air Force Base in Florida. I remember leaving and driving up. I was just going to go traveling for indefinitely because I just didn't know what to do with myself. And I felt so dead. And I remember sitting with you in Charlotte. You were in Charlotte at the time, oh, weren't yeah. you? Oh, yeah. I remember going to lunch with you and, and sharing with you just, I was, I was basically also going through a breakup with my girlfriend at the time who lives still down in Florida. And I remember, you know, it's common knowledge that a lot of men can't cry. What I was really present to was not only couldn't I cry, I also couldn't really laugh. Yeah. I couldn't really feel anything. Yeah. And I remember just maybe spending a day or two with you in Charlotte. I was just on my way to you know, my next adventure. Um, but man, I was so locked inside my body. So stoic. So stoic. Do you remember that? Do you remember? Oh my God. Stoic. Uh, right? Like hiding. Uh, in Maybe it wasn't even hiding because it's not like you were intentional about it, but, but maybe it, was, it had been beaten out of you or maybe, maybe just the kind of culture that you had been in or maybe just the pain that you had been in for years and years. Because I know being in the military was hard for you. You, you thought about even, even leaving and, and getting dishonorably discharged because it was such a struggle for you to live inside mm -hmm. that culture, you know, being unaffected by the pain it's almost like you had been experiencing so much inner turmoil for so long you became numb to absolutely the the pain of losing a girlfriend the, the pain of getting out of the military and not knowing where to go the pain of being you know lost in the world without clear direction or purpose at the time you know supp suppressing the emotions maybe because you were had been in so much pain that it was safer to yeah. suppress all of the emotions rather than obviously because we can't just numb numb the bad pains we end up numbing them all well and I, and I had nobody nobody was helping me process what i was going through nobody was helping me feel what's there to be felt it's one of the ways that i like to yeah that i learned intimacy from from one of my teachers steve james and michaela bowen like intimacy is is seeing what is there to be seen and feeling what is there to be felt i was couldn't feel anything there was yeah nobody was helping me there yeah, I mean, what are the messages we got as children and as, as boys, right? Boys don't cry. Don't That's be a right. pussy. You know, feelings are for girls. Feelings just get in the way of a good outcome. You know, your fuck right. your feelings, all of that stuff. And again, the military just doubled down on all that. And yeah. I mean, fraternity, the same. That's where I think that, look, there's a lot of wisdom in the stoic way of life, right? I think it's Ryan Holiday. There's yes. a lot of wisdom in that. And there is this message of, of, of being invulnerable that lives inside of that. And if a man is going to be fully enlivened, that's one of the things that we talk a lot about is that one of, the, one of the things that we think is critical is for a man to be fully enlivened, which means for him to actually feel the feelings. 
and not numb them. We, we numb them a lot as men and because the world demands that of us. We get told that it is weakness. In the very beginning of that movie, I mean, The Mask You Live In, it, it, there's this montage of boys and men and teenagers all speaking out various words. Be a man. Stop crying. Don't cry. Don't show your emotions. All this montage. Don't be a sissy. Act like a man. And that the reality is when we don't get to feel those emotions, any emotions, and we're just demanding to be stoic, when in the world are we supposed to feel alive and grateful? One of the ways in which we do that is we ingest things, drugs, alcohol, porn, things that can help us feel and by the way, some of those things tie into one of the ways that we get taught as boys that what it means to be a man is that you have to be successful with women. So one of the ways that we get to be successful as women is we ingest things to help us feel differently than the way we are, because usually we feel pretty inadequate trying to engage with women. So we ingest things to help pump up our, our, our feelings. Then we start to feel those things, and then we don't know what to do with her once we get her. Right. And so, so that's one of the ways in which as a boy, we get a message. You have to be successful with women and we have no idea how to do that. So we ingest things to make ourselves feel better. And then we're on this terrible ride because now we we've ingested things to make us feel confident. And then we have her and we don't know how to please her. And so I remember when you came at the time, I was full on in much of those activities that helped me feel Mm -hmm. really alive. And you were pretty stoic and talk about one of the ways I, I missed the mark is, is I don't remember it explicitly, but I'm sure I was feeling fully enlivened in some artificial ways, didn't know how to help you process the ways that you weren't. And we were probably in some ways, you know, present for one another, but like two ships passing in the night, not really knowing how to, for you to reach into me and saying, Tate, what's, what are you doing? What's going on with you? Like, well, why are you living such a big life right now? I mean, is that authentic? Is it real? Like what's happening for you? And for me to drop in and be like, hey man, what's happening? Because you, you seem dead to me. And we were living these two different worlds, not, not really balanced in, in, in either way for one another. Yeah. I remember this Top, Top Gun, the movie Top Gun was such a, formative movie for me. It's actually what got me to go in the, to the air force, you know, seeing Tom Cruise fly jets and play volleyball shirtless with other men. I'm not sure what that has to do with, it. uh, hanging out with Kelly McGillis and all. And, but I remember when, uh, in that movie, when goose dies, Maverick doesn't cry. He doesn't cry. I, mean, I remember him he being angry. He gets angry. I remember him being That's sullen, allowed. withdrawn, but he never once cried in that. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, this was the model I had. This was, I know this was the model you had. This is the model we all had. Just men don't cry. And so here you are, as you said, like we're ships passing in the night, you know, you and I, at this period of time, we're very disconnected from each other's lives. We might talk once a year or maybe a couple times a year on the phone. This was before, you know, email wasn't really a thing pre-internet days. Um, so we weren't really in good touch then. Um, we check in from time to time and, and I think during that period for me, I'd love to hear what was happening for you. But for me, I was, I was just 
I was so desperately trying to find my way in life. You know, who the fuck am I supposed to be as an adult? What is my work in the world? What is my gift? What is my, what are my offerings to the world? But nobody was really helping me find, figure that shit out. Yeah, nobody. Right. I'm trying to do relationships with women. And, you know, you said earlier, you know, we, we, we will ingest things that will use women or use sex to feel enlivened and feel big. And I definitely was using women uh, in all kinds of, of ways to feel something. And, That's and, right. and I mean, I wasn't, I was like a serial monogamist. And, but very quickly I would start dating a woman, uh, even when I really wanted to be with and things would fall apart because to your point, I had no fucking idea what I was supposed to do with her. Well, and I thought she yeah. was the problem. Right. She was always the problem. Of course. Well, and, and Joe Ehrman referenced that book, the season of life. One of the things he talks about, cause he's coaching these boys at Gilman high school, which is outside of Baltimore. The book is really beautiful and powerful, but one of the points that he makes is that boys get taught in order to be a man, there's three things that are critical. You have to be great athletically. That's the first thing. If you're a great athlete, then you're more of a man. Second, you have to be good with women. But it's in the acquisition of them, not in the experience of having a, a real great relationship. Quantity, not quality. And then the third is you have to make a lot of money. Right. That's what it means to actually be on purpose. You have to be able to be a provider. And so if you're not good athletically, you're not able to acquire women and you're not making a lot of money, there's something wrong with you. And so at the time, I was on the journey of being validated by women to let be told by women that, oh, Tate's great. He's wonderful. And 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 not in in healthy ways, but in the acquisition ways. And then secondarily, is I was in the world of consulting, left the world of impact and higher education that I deeply love, but I was making money. And so I was on the journey of trying to be fulfilled. And, you know, I was no longer athletic in the same way that I was in, you know, varsity sports in high school, but I was trying to live out those other two ways. And you, I would imagine out of the military, not making money at that point in time. Well, what does it mean to make an impact in the world? So that, that mask that the status mask that a lot of men put on, got a great job, making great money, have a nice car, have the house, got the kid, that all of the things that tell you that you're valuable as a man in the world, you're a provider, when we're not really meeting those in, in ways that enliven us, it kills us as men. We are silently suffering with the mask of, well, I'm a good provider. Even though my, you know, kids don't want, my kids don't want me to be a good provider. They don't give a shit about what I'm providing. They care about my presence and my present for them. Inside of that too, I see a lot of men get angry when they're not being valued for what they provide. That's right. Not, and not that, that, not that um, men should be, I think, valued of and appreciated course. for of what course. we provide. But when men hang their entire worthiness on right. what I provide and then my family is not, they're not, there's still something's wrong. Why the fuck aren't they happy? I'm providing. Yeah. Yeah. What, what the fuck else do they want? And actually, I'd really like for you to talk about this for a moment. The, the four masks of that, mm. that men tend to wear, that distinction. Yeah. So if it's true that, that as a child, we pick up, got to be good in sports. Well, that carries over into adulthood about needing to dominate and to have strength. 
you got to be competent at something. Well, you got to pretend like you're strong in the world. The second thing I think as an adult or teen into adulthood, try to try to put on the mask of being a ladies man, good with women. So therefore I'm a good man in the world. The third mask is the success mask or the provider mask, which is, see, I'm in my purpose work. I'm able to do well in the world. And the last is what ends up happening to most men, no matter what, which is the stoic mass, the invulnerable mass, the one that's not going to actually let you know how he's feeling because he's not really sure that you give a shit about what he's feeling anyway. And certainly he doesn't know how to share how he's feeling without feeling like he's weak or needy or less of as a man, because we haven't been taught as men that feelings actually make us powerful in the world. They only are a sign of weakness. You know, I think about this, this, this last one, this invulnerability, the stoic mask. I remember having an experience early in my relationship with Sylvie where we had gotten into an argument and then we got through it, but she, she sent me a text message later that said, I just want you to know, I care about your feelings. My immediate thought was why I don't even care about my feelings. And that what a fucked up place to live for men when you know, to your point, yeah, we don't believe anyone else will care about our feelings because no one ever has for the most part. And they've also just been dismissed if we have any feelings or ridiculed. And then I think, but we stay there long enough. And then all of a sudden now I don't care about my own feelings. And so I don't really, inside of that, I don't even know how to take care of myself. I don't even actually know what I need if I'm not connected to what's happening in my body. So, so those, so these are the four masks. I'm sure there, there are maybe others. I think predominant masks, the, the dominance mask or the strength mask, the, you see this, you know, you see this in men's competitiveness. You see this in men, like whether it's on the athletic field where they, where they cannot hierarchy. lose yep. the hierarchy or, or at work, they just cannot, like they have to be the best at everything in that ladies, man. And I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, I've worked with couples before in coaching, particularly I've worked with some women where their partners wanted to where their partners were really struggling to be in the marriage, be in the relationship and wanted to have an open relationship. And I, as I reflect on this mask, I believe part of that wanting to be in an open relationship for some men, certainly not every man, but I think there's this need, like I need the approval of women to feel good about myself and to be married to one woman. Well, she ain't going to approve of you all the time. It's going to be a roller coaster ride <laughs> at times. But boy, isn't it nice to feed off of other women's validation to feel like a man? And then so second, the third, just a little summary, because I think this is so valuable. You think about if you're, if you're listening to this, think about you know, which of these masks might you be leading with or at times putting on. But that third, the success or the, the provider mask. Now we talked about that. So, so many guys get angry when they aren't valued with, when their or wives are they're giving. For what they're offering. We worked with a guy just yeah, recently. Just this, I was just thinking about this. Right? He's like, if I don't bring something of monetary value to a to an interaction, a relationship, I'm I then I that means I have nothing to offer. And the other end of that coin that or the pencil that gets picked up when when that man was holding that was, oh, and she should be giving me something for what I'm giving to. Right. That's right? right. Like, and in that case, it was, I want sex. I, I'm providing. Why aren't they giving me sex when I want it? There's this demand 
not this beautiful exchange that's happening, but this requirement that started to be, be espoused because I'm providing and she's not. What's up with that? You know, it's interesting. You and I were actually thinking of two different men because I know exactly who you're thinking about now. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's interesting because it is is it up it is they opposite are tied. Well, well, the one one guy was was he's like I all I my only worth is my providing, and also by the way, I don't need anything in return. I need absolutely nothing. I'm willing to take nothing. You know that the invulnerable stoic. I don't need anything, and so he was wearing those two masks. And the other guy, you're right. I remember that he was. I'm providing, therefore you owe me. I, you should be giving me all of these things. And it's, again, neither of those are, 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 are stances that sure. are going to create thriving, certainly not thriving relationships. And they're going to leave men resentful and, and shut down. And they're women too, as well, <laughs> resentful and frustrated. One of the things that I'm really present to is, okay, you, you, start, you start a life as a child, my 10-year-old son, where you get told you absolutely need to be wearing these masks. They turn into masks that we don't know how to take off because Oscar Wilde has this really, excuse, excuse me, George Orwell has this beautiful quote. And the quote is, he wears a mask and his face grows to fit it. So as a child, as a little boy, we put on a mask and our face grows to fit it. And then we get to be 48 years old, we get to be 42 years old, we get to be 57 years old, and we've been wearing this mask for so long, our face fits it, but, but it is a, we are, we are suffering. We are, we are tired. We are exhausted by the life we gave. And, and when we get to finally take off our masks as men and be in the presence of other people my belief is in the presence of other men that really can allow you to take your mask off for you to be able to take a breath and for you to actually feel like what your face actually feels like without the pretending, then there is like a brand new hope. There is a brand new opportunity that exists and a new breath that comes in because now you're, you get to determine which way do you want to go now? So let's switch now to to the third part of our journey together. We're we're, we're now I think mid to mid thirties this mid to late thirties, and we're starting to come back into each other's lives more. Exactly. And I mean, this is a multiple year period where we're we're a lot of our old patterns, our our addictions, our unskillful ways of being in the world are still predominant. And neither one of us, I remember, I had. Uh, I was in a relationship. I was what early thirties, and I had I had told a lie to my girlfriend, my my new girlfriend. I had lied about being with another woman right at the beginning of our relationship. And I remember telling you, you asked me if I was gonna would I ever tell her about this, and I was like, nope, I'm taking it to my grave. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking that's the right move. Uh, well, that was a fucking shit show disaster that then proceeded for the next yeah. five years. Look, good came out of it. My book, choose her every day or leave her. Like <laughs> lots of good came from it, but God damn, no, that was a shit show. Book, tell the truth and let, oh, let that's the right. peace fall where it may. That, that too. That especially. But if I could write that over, yeah. if, I could, if I could rewrite that story, I would have had you, I would have had you challenge <laughs> me. I would have had you confront me in a respectful, but loving, but firm way, but you didn't know any better either. 
No. You were you probably were I like knew enough oh, to ask the question not to know whether or not it was the right answer. <laughs> I knew it was a good question. I didn't know if right, it was right, the right, right answer. Because the part of right. me that wants yeah. to get out yeah. Yeah. my own lack of integrity. Right. Yeah, I can I can see why you shouldn't do that. Yep. That makes sense to me. And that, yep, totally. And that choice blew up in oh, my man. face. It yeah. created the next five years of my life in that relationship were you relive that moment time and again hell because i did come clean about what about almost maybe a year later and the only reason i came clean is because i was so fucking tired of being dragged through the goddamn mud not by my my partner at the time but by my resistance to just fucking dropping the mask yeah right that's right i am actually curious brian so so you wrote a book tell the truth yeah and let the peace fall where it may why was why did you have to write that? Why did that book yeah, yeah. come from you? That's a great question. So the first line, so I wrote 10 drafts of that book. Hmm. And the very first line throughout all 10 drafts is like one of the only things that didn't change in the entire book, like the first sentence. Because the first sentence was the the seed that I knew I needed to explore and, and dive into. It was, it was, it was at the, the core of, of why I needed to write this book. And, and, and here was that first sentence. If I tell you who I really am, you won't love me. Hmm. That was the first, that was it. If I tell you who I really am, you won't love me. Again, hmm. talk about putting on a mask. And I realized that, you know, and I was working with a coach at the time that actually came from a, a writing exercise she had. I was, blo- I was doing a lot of blogging, um, but, but this came from a session that I did with her that, that tell the truth, let the peace fall. I mean, just that title came and then that first sentence. And then I just started writing and it, it was like, it was a blog that I just couldn't stop writing mm. and it just kept going and going and going. And that's why it became a book. It wasn't a blog, it was a book. But that's what I was waking up to was all the ways and not even some ways big, but most ways really small. I had been lying about what was going on for me. You know, just, just like my inability to tell someone, I don't like the way you're speaking to me. I, I didn't have that language available to me or, or, you know, I don't like what's happening right now. This doesn't feel good to me. This, yeah. this, this, this isn't okay with me. I didn't have that language. And yeah. so again, cause I was wearing the, the stoic yeah. mask. And so, you know, that book was a major coming out of, of, it it was, you know, there's a saying in in our world, we teach what we want to learn. Yeah. And I really wanted to learn how to have my voice, how to speak authentically. So tell the truth, let the peace fall where it may. Well, one one of the things I love about the title, I remember you telling the story how you went to a, you know, a book editor who told you. Oh, yeah. To change the name of the book to tell the truth, no matter what, and you're like, right. no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, and and because for me, what's always really stood out to me is is how poignant the, the title is, because that's actually what this topic of this entire podcast. I'm just making the connection now. Is right, you you, you tell the truth and let the peace fall where it may, because every time I put on a mask and I pretend. Like I am something that I'm not. There is something inside of me that is not at rest. There's something inside of me that, that, is, that is in turmoil. 
And that turmoil never ends well for me to the point that you're making for you are a year of angst for the suffering of not being able to sit well. And look, we're really clear now. We talk really intentionally about just don't spew your quote unquote truth onto other people and call it, you know, vulnerability or to call it like, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. No, but, but there is, if you're, if you're really, if you're pretending and hiding behind a mask, you as a man in the world, there, there is a prison that you're in where there is no peace. And that book title, I just think is so beautifully poignant and relevant for this, this conversation that we're having just you and I, but that, that we're having with you as a man in the world who's listening. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think, you know, as I think about, uh, the conversation we're having and we're starting to, to come to the end of, of this episode, I'm thinking about what do I want a man or a woman for that matter? What do I want a listener to take away from this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm a little careful because I don't want to prescribe what someone right, should right, take away right. from this. Right. We talked about that before, before recording. Cause I mean, what do we, what do we know what you should get? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get something, but you know, you know, the part of our story that we haven't really talked talked to yet in this episode is, okay, so now you and I are coming back into each other's lives and particularly the part where, where now we're, we're both stepping into profound honesty in our lives and, mm-hmm. and vulnerability with the people yeah. who need that from us, yeah. Yeah. right? Not just vulnerability for the sake of it. And, and of course, I was practicing through my blogs and yeah. you know, really revealing a lot. Um, and, and then practicing that in my relationships as well, but my friendships, but also certainly intimate relationships. And, and such that, you know, when I met Sylvie, 49, almost 50, I met her at 41, so eight, nine years ago, like I was prepared to finally to, to talk about, tell the truth, let the peace fall. I was so, what's the word I'm looking for? I was so fucking committed to not wearing a mask. Mm. Mm. I don't want to live in a mask. It was exhausting. It was yes. painful. That yeah. word exhausting. Yes. Right. We talked about that in our in our preparation for this. It is exhausting. exhausting. If if you're a man listening and you're connecting with what we're sharing, or even women too. I mean, women wear their own masks. Yeah. But it is exhausting. The effort that goes into censoring what is what is true for you, either either right acting out in the anger, the shows of of strength, the displays of I got this and everything's good and everything's great and nothing's wrong here. I've got it all figured out. I don't need anything. Whatever those those dis- displays are, the facades, the mask, it is exhausting. Or you're flashing status around because you have to have, be the greatest at everything because that's the only way that validates you. Or you are the kind of guy that says, I don't feel anything. Nothing, nothing can hurt me. All of those are masks of exhaustion. And yeah, that's, I think, I think really started for me to help me really get to a place of where I was able to really be straight about things. It was coming out of those mountains of Lake Arrowhead and you and I made the decision just to stop winging it inside of our friendship. And we made the commitment every Monday, you and I were going to have a conversation, a real fucking conversation on Monday nights. I'd be driving home from my trip from Greensboro down to Charlotte. I'd have a two hour trip and we would spend an hour talking about what's really going on. 
what our hopes, what our dreams, what our fears, what our hurts, what our anxieties, what, what our pain was, all of it. And it was a place where once a week for an hour, I could completely take my mask off and tell you, cause I know, I knew you could hold it like, like no one else could. You didn't have a vested interest in, in me doing or saying or being something other than what I was. And for you and I to have an hour each week, yeah, that was game changing. Yeah. I think there's something special about practicing that with other men. I think I think a lot of a lot of men have this ideal that we should just be able to tell our intimate partners anything and everything. Mm. And while I get the ideal, uh, I also know, and I'm a, I've been a relationship coach for ten years. I know that that's actually a bad strategy to lead with. <laughs> like everything that occurs to you, you should be able to share with your partner. No, that's actually not not skillful <laughs> relational practice. Don't do that. Don't, Don't do, do that. that. Get the ideal. I really do because it's it's liberating, yeah. right? The masculine value of freedom. And we think, well, if I if I can't say what there is what I need to right. say, then I'm not free. Well, let's You might not be free either. <laughs> <laughs> right. You wanna you wanna feel trapped? Say uh, the thing and see what everything, happens. Everything exactly the way <laughs> see it's how free you see how free you feel then. But having other men that yeah. you can like creating those containers and and yeah. I mean a lot of men do this and it's it's a place where they just go to dump their cynicism and they yeah fuck man yeah bitches are crazy man and they just sort of you know spiral down into this cynical the world sucks and and it's women's fault mm. place well that's not helpful that's not helpful at all no. but gathering you and I you and I started this creating that container and we had so many years of trust also built yeah, that's right yeah. But now we're we're both in new eras of our life. I mean, you were going through your 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 well on your recovery journey. Oh yeah. You know, you and your your wife had been through some challenges and you were on this side of those That's challenges. Right. Now That's you right. um so you know, I've been doing men's work now and yeah. I've been coaching for years and still doing my own work and so now we're we're men coming together. In, in a new way. There is one thing I want to say about that, which is the tendency for us as men to feel like we do have to be on the other side of our pain and suffering in order for us to be able to come out of the out of hiding and to talk about it. And I, I would just say, I really, really wish that I'd, I had had the strength and the courage be having those conversations with you while I was in the dark night of the soul and not after it, because I'm clear that it wouldn't have been as dark. Well, of course, we'll look at even the lives that we've had since. I mean, since oh, we've man. been doing this, I mean, I've this this past year has been a fucking ass kicker for me. You know, personally, just just health things that my family has gone through, you know, which I'm some things I'm not ready to talk publicly about yet, but it's been a fucking ass kicker this year. And and if I didn't have men to talk with like you, to talk with to, to to be angry with, to fucking cry with, to feel all of the feels. Again, for me, I know where I'd be. I'd just be dead again. I'd be a walking dead yeah, man, a zombie. Right. I'd right. be checked out, that's not right. feeling anything, probably just playing video games and fucking off and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I know that that is not, that is not, to me, that is not living well. That is just, that's not even living. So that's the thing. Walking life comes for us all and it keeps coming and right. let, let's land the plane here yeah 
Say, yeah. how do we how do we land this plane? You know, I'm always I'm always present about how I have a tendency to listen to podcasts. I know you listen to podcasts differently, mm-hmm. but I have a tendency to listen to podcasts going from one right into the next. Right? We'll listen to one, and I'm like, "Where's the next episode?" Jim Quick. He's the first person that I heard use this phrase, and so I think about it and I attribute it to him. But but shelf help. In one ear and out the other. And that's the way I have a tendency sometimes to live my life unless I really catch myself. I listen to one thing, I move to the next. I read one book, I move to the next. I watch one show and I'm on to the next. And why don't you land the plane around we hope will be different about this podcast? So we, we have a formula that we like to talk about in our coaching work with men, and that is insight plus action equals growth and meaningful change, right? Insight plus action equals growth and meaningful change. Now, another way of saying that is like insight without action is kind of like having a treasure map, but never digging for the gold, right? It's fun to have the map in your hands, but if you don't dig for the gold, all you have is a piece of paper in your hands. (laughs) That's it. Now, but action without insight is like setting sail on an ocean without a destination. And you're, all you're going to be doing is just struggling with the currents and the waves, just creating stress for yourself. And so insight plus action though, equals growth and meaningful change. And so we challenge you to think about, reflect on one thing that you're going to take away from this conversation today. Now, it might be something around the masks or mask that you have been predominantly been wearing. It might be something around the importance of connecting with other men, that entrustable, deep, rich, safe conversations. I don't know. It might be something that connection that I wouldn't make myself. Whatever that is, we challenge you to not just rush off into the next thing, but, but take a few moments to just reflect, take some deep breaths, allow yourself to, to, marinate in mm. in the richness of this conversation yeah and what is the one thing then you're going to take with you from this conversation and we would really like to know you can yeah. actually email uh, either of us myself or tate or both of us at brian at menthisway.com it's brian with a y at menthisway.com or tate it's t-a-i-t at menthisway.com any final words tate Oh, here we go, man. So excited. So honored to be able to be a part of this conversation this year. So grateful to you all as listeners for your your willingness to put your ear at the door of this conversation, but also to engage with us because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. We want to have a conversation, an ongoing conversation with you. So please drop us an email. I look forward to being in touch with you all. So grateful to be in this conversation with you, brother. And uh, here we go. Here we go. And I can't help but feeling like this conversation feels incomplete. And I think that's because it is. It's always incomplete. <laughs> but that's what I love <laughs> about this new era, this new, yeah. this new era of men this way is that I feel like I hope that if we do this well, it's we're just it's an ongoing conversation that yeah. you and I get to have, that we are inviting other people to to listen in on. I'm excited to have panels, you know, so many amazing men that I want to have on to have conversation with, amazing women as well. So I'm really excited for this new season 
uh, of Men This Way. And, and for those of you that joined in today, listened all the way to the end, thank you so much for joining us on Men This Way.